Hello, everyone. Welcome to She's an Outlander, a podcast dedicated to the television show Outlander. My name is Stacy, um, and once again, I am here solo. Um, just thought I'd pop on quickly and just do a little check-in with everyone. Um, so a couple weeks ago, our season five wrap-up episode was released. Um, so if you haven't checked that out, please do so. If you're just finding this podcast, I'm wondering what the heck this is. Um, welcome. Uh, I'd advise you to go back to the beginning and start. Uh, Brittany and I are two friends. Uh, I love Outlander. Uh, Brittany had never watched it before and was new to it. And I sucked her into it and I go episode by episode and describe it for her. And then at the end of every season, she watches it. And then we do a wrap up episode and then we move on to the next season. So we just finished season five. Brittany has watched up to the end of season five. Um, and probably towards the end of the summer, we'll be moving into season six. Um, so for right now, I just decided I pop on again and give a little bonus episode for everyone. Some people shared that they enjoyed hearing my thoughts about um, uh, the season one or no, sorry, the season seven premiere. Um, and we are over halfway now through the first half of season seven. Um, so as I record this, um, it's Friday, July 14th. This will probably not come out till Monday. Um, but, uh, episode five has already dropped in the U S and in the UK. And I have my ways of finding it up here, uh, which I will not name, but, um, so I have seen up to episode five. Um, and I just thought that I would share for anybody who cares sort of how I'm finding the season as well as talk about a little bit. Um, so, you know, I've been mentioning to Brittany over the past few podcasts, this, um, the WGA, the Writers Guild of America strike that has been happening since the beginning of May and sort of what that means in general and what that means for the show. Um, and then I've been saying for a while that there was the very real possibility that the actors union sag after um, could go on strike and what would that mean? And it happened um, as of midnight last night, Pacific time, um, sag after officially went on strike. Um, so I'll, you know, I'll share a little bit. I know it's kind of confusing. Like, why? What are they striking over? What does it mean? Um, how does how does it impact Outlander, if at all? Um, and you know, and the actors and all that kind of stuff. And so if you're not interested in that, that's fine. You can just keep it moving. Uh, we'll see you in the next one. Um, but if you are at all interested in that or unsure, because there's a lot of information out there, there's a lot of gray area, there's sometimes conflicting information, that sort of stuff. Um, but uh, I will try to share the understanding that I have gained um, through my, my knowledge and understanding and research. Um, I don't have any special sources. Uh, I'm just somebody who watches and reads and listens to a lot of podcasts. You guys know my Oscar corner. Um, I get all into that. So anyway, so to start just checking in on season seven, um, so I talked about how much I loved the premiere and sort of my experience with that. Um, 
And then, yeah, so I won't really go back on that too much. Um, but overall, I'm, I am really enjoying this season, like quite a lot. Um, and I will, I season or sorry, episode two, what was it? The happiest place on earth, um, knocked my socks off. I couldn't believe the number of plot points from the book that they got through in that single episode. I thought it was so well done. Um, we hit so many things and yet it didn't feel rushed to me. We got beautiful poignant moments with all of the characters that we care about. Um, and so everything from the Christie storyline sort of wrapping up, finally finding out who uh, killed poor, poor complicated Melva. So goodbye, Alan Christie. Um, and, you know, from there to Mandy being born, getting to see for the briefest of moments, Jamie and Claire being grandparents, Jamie holding his little granddaughter in his arms, talking about the horse he was picking out for her and Claire showing her around the surgery and and that kind of stuff. Um, And then, of course, nothing can ever stay happy for more than four seconds in Outlander. She has a heart condition um, and they need to figure out if she can go back through the zones. You guys all know the I'm not going to go through all four episodes. Uh, episode two is probably my favorite. Um, it knocked, sorry, if you heard that, um, it knocked my socks off. It was, it was so well done. Um, they got, I, they got so many important book moments in. we got really beautiful moments between, um, Claire and Brie and Jamie and Brie like that fire the whole firefly scene was like so beautiful where they're talking she's telling about Disneyland and he's saying you know is this place a disappointment to you and she says you're magical to me um was just like so beautiful um them going to the stones and and there being so many iterations of goodbyes at the stones oh oh um William and Brie meeting for the first time and Jamie seeing that Jamie and Lord John's like effectively their, their breakup, um, which like the acting was just stunning across the board. Everyone absolutely brought their a game. It's maybe the best um, I've seen from Sophie so far in this series. Like she was so good. Um, and I feel like Sam's really stepped it up this season too. He was really strong in this episode too. His performance was so good. I just really loved his moments with Brie and even saying goodbye at the stones, like the single tear and her crying and her saying, um, oh my God, why can't I remember the line guys? Nothing. What is it? Nothing's ever destroyed. Only changes. I'm totally fucking up that line. I'm so mad. Um, nothing is, nothing is lost, only changed. There we go. I got there. Anyone who was just screaming at me right now, um, how she says that, and I will carry you with me forever and I'll always with you and you're my daughter. And then saying goodbye to Jemmy and Jemmy saying goodbye to Claire and just saying, I love you and moments between Claire and Roger and, and Jamie and Roger and they, you both kiss Mandy and like that just oh my god I sobbed the second time I watched it great um and then the absolutely amazing 
scene we got with Jamie and Claire, which in the books is comes at a different place and it's a little different in the context, but I think they adapted it really well and it made sense. And for me, it's like a continuation of Claire's healing and processing and sharing her grief and her emotions and not compartmentalizing and bottling things up as she's always done. Um, and and Jamie just being there for her and saying, can you cry? Can you grieve for them? And I'll be here when you're done. Um, and just the acting in that scene, holy friggin' hell, Katrina Bell, the sobbing. And, and anyway, anyway, I really loved that episode. And then, of course, good old our buddy Donner returns to uh, mess things up and light that match. Um, that's an episode when we finally get there. I'm looking forward to going through it with Britt because there's just so much. Um, the way Jamie's like, you know, Jamie and Claire are back to their like improving. Um, oh, well, I wouldn't do that to her. She uh, knows where the gems are. Sir, I don't know that we've been acquainted. Uh, I'm James Fraser and you are. And as soon as Claire says when to go Donner, Jamie drops the act and is ready to kill him. Uh, and the gold comes into play. Um, so I absolutely loved that episode. And then episode three um, was, I also really, I also really enjoyed episode three and that's, you know, episode three was called death. Be not proud. Um, I thought that was also a really strong episode and it was, a it was bridging us. So we were wrapping up the stuff of book six. We said goodbye to the big house that actually, I was really sad. I was more sad than I thought I would be to see that burn because it's, it's beautiful. And we've watched it literally grow and be created over the last couple seasons. So to see it burn down was really sad. Um, and then to see Roger and Bree in the future and, and that whole situation and the letters and like, oh my gosh, um, I loved that. I liked that part in the book too. I thought it was a clever convention. Um, so yeah, just all of, all of that. And Jamie and Claire, Jamie's dreams, these dreams that he's having, um, sort of seeing the future, um, you know, Jem's kind of connection to him a little bit. Um and, you know, them deciding we got some great book moments too. the moments where they're talking about she's, you know, Claire's asking Jamie what he would like done with his body. I uh, would want to go back to Scotland. And then she's like, you never asked me. And he's like, I never would. I can't I can't imagine he was dead. Like, I loved that part of the book. Um, so I loved all of that sort of stuff and their decision to go back to Scotland. The reasoning is a little different here than it is in the book, which totally makes sense. In the book, he still has his printing press and decides to go back. Um, but he wants to take Ian home. He promised his sister that he would take him home because of the impending war. He feels like it has to be now. And also he swore he would never face his son across the barrel of a gun. Um, so yeah, and then we, you know, we get them leaving. Um Claire finding Adzo in the woods on their way out. Have a little cry. And the, I was not expecting that flashback to the post, the post that they found when they were marking their territory at season four. That hit me. I was like, oh my God, that flashback hit me. And the way Claire like put in the ground being like, this is our home. Damn it. We're coming back. Um, and then the, uh, and then from there, it, that basically wrapped up anything left from book six and we were like firmly into book seven territory and from there is where i really felt the shift so you could feel okay we're bringing in the hunters we're bringing in more of william's story 
uh, Roger and Brie now have their complete separate story in the eighties with the kids and, and it's all, and it's all different now. So I was, I knew we were going to get less time with Jamie and Claire. Um, it happened in the books. It's, it's why I struggled to get through seven and eight, (laughs) honestly. Um, not that I don't love the other characters. I just, I love Jamie and Claire so much that when there's huge sections without them, I struggle and I want to get back to them. (laughs) Um, but I, I enjoyed, uh, most uncomfortable woman. Um, they, I like the way that they, so Jamie was conscripted instead of there's another boat in the book and they get boarded and blah, 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 blah. It, I was okay with this choice. It made sense. We don't need more boats. This is probably more coming. Um, him getting conscripted and Claire running into Tom Christie who plants a big old kiss on her. Um, I thought that was hilarious. Uh, Mark Lewis Jones and Katrina Bell were hilarious in those moments. Um, and Tom just loving her. <laughs> um, we'll miss you, Mark. We will. Um, and then the scene with Jamie and Claire after that, I thought was was really nice, too. I really liked how they adapted that from the books. A lot of the dialogue and Jamie playing with her a little bit, but also being like, you know, I was kind of joking about killing, but it's actually kind of an honest question. Like he touched you against your will. And then, you know, back and forth about jealousy and him and her pricking her with needles and pricking him with needles in bed and all that kind of stuff. That transition shot into the mirror. I was like, ooh, artsy. I love it. Um, So really loved that scene. Um, And yeah, more really great Roger and Brie stuff. Brie kicking ass in the 80s. That was the best job interview I've ever, ever seen. (laughs) that line she says oh I was like she is her mama's daughter both of her parents would be looking on so proud right now um and I am enjoying Roger and Bree's relationship more um I think if Roger had have had this dialogue in season four I would have wanted to smack him in the face um about how he wasn't very happy for her that she got the job but it was he and you know and he shared more that he felt like he was failing in his promise to take care of her he promised both Jamie and Claire that he would take care of her. And he, he he's feeling a little lost and he doesn't entirely know what to do. And I liked that they had a mature conversation about that. And we're just honest with each other. Um, and we see the aged up kids. We see Jemmy and Mandy. Um, the little actress that plays Mandy is so adorable. She definitely doesn't look like she's described in the books, but that's okay. Bree is not six feet tall and everything's like a little different. Um, Jemmy is not a redhead. Mandy does not have dark curly ringlets and is like a mini Claire. Although her temperament, I'm already like mini Claire. When Roger was like, apologize to your brother. She's like, no, sorry. I'm like, oh, that is, I see your grand. I see your grand, see your granny in there. Um, But yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, more stuff from Mandy and Jemmy. Um, and yet we get introduced to the hunters and I, and then also we get to know William a little bit more and Ian comes across William in the dismal swamp and, um, uh, and he knows already, which I think is a slight change from the book that William is, is Jamie's son. So he knows who he is. Um, I struggled with those sections in the book, but I actually quite enjoyed them on the show. Um, I'm really loving what Charles is doing. He's making me care about William more than I did in the books. Um, 
I think I thought the dynamic between he and Ian was was really nice. Um, we'll see how that dynamic changes as the season goes along. Um, and I think Charles is doing so good. I can see little bits. I can see little Jamieisms and his mannerisms. And then every now and then it's like, oh, there's a little Lord John bit. So he's doing really well. And then we meet the hunters, um, Rachel and. Denzel Hunter, Rachel and Denny. Um, so, and, and Izzy and Joey were so good. I love them so much already. Um, so great. Um, and maybe picking up a little something, something between Ian and Rachel. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed that episode and Jamie and Claire arrive at Fort Ticonderoga and then episode five, which just aired, um, which was called Singapore, which no one could figure out why it was called Singapore. Even book readers were like, I don't, know where that title is coming from but it was a battle from world war ii that claire remembered and told jamie about um my one gripe for this episode and i knew it was coming so it is what it is far too little jamie and claire they had like a scene and a half together and then they each had one or two scenes separately um again i knew it was coming um it's to be expected you're adding in so we now instead of having mainly Jamie and Claire and then some Roger and Brie. We have Jamie and Claire and Roger and Brie. And then you got to account for, um, you know, William's storyline and, and Rachel and Denny's storyline and all that kind of stuff. So the math is going to dictate that Jamie and Claire are not going to be in 95% of the episode. It just can't. We've had all these stories come in. Um, and anyone who's read the books knows that that's how seven, eight, nine are. Um, the world opens up a bit. Jamie and Claire are always going to be at the core. Um, but there's other stories to tell as well. Um, and I am really, in, I, and I enjoyed, and I enjoy learning. They move some stuff around. Um, Ian and Emily, I don't remember that happening so early. That's like later in eight or even in nine, I want to say. Um, so they move some stuff ahead. But um, yeah, I really am loving the Hunters um their dynamic william getting his first kill he, he the jamie fraser jumped out when he needed to and he speared that guy with a fire poker um and yeah more with roger and brie brie starting this new job the through line of like jamie and claire and brie all experiencing opposition from someone and like all three of them have grown so much as characters because the younger versions of them would have bopped someone in the face. <laughs> um, Jamie dealing with that French general that doesn't want to listen. Claire dealing with the misogynistic lieutenant surgeon doctor guy. Um, and Brie dealing with her bosses and Rob Cameron and everything at the plant. Um and it looks like they're introducing that whole, those like way lines or whatever it is that she comes across and the time travel and all that stuff. But um, yeah, you're like both Claire and Brie experiencing misogyny in the workplace, 200 years apart. Nice. And Jamie, once again, I was getting season two young Jacobite warrior, Jamie vibes, where he was having that opposition with uh, Bonnie Prince, Charlie's all his men when they weren't listening to him and everything. But I was like, oh, this feels like season two again, um, those vibes. But um, yeah, I really like that. And it ended with them having to flee the fort. Oh, and oh my God. And and Brie feeling the presence of her parents and just missing them so much and making that little ca cairn. 
Karen out of um, rocks and saying good and like talking to Jamie, like it was his, you know, like it was sort of his gravestone, which was like giving me reminiscent moments of when Claire talked to the stone when she thought he died at Culloden. And I was like, oh, wow. Maybe so sad. I was like, I just want them to be reunited. I want Brie to be able to hug her parents. Um, but yeah, and it ends with Jamie and Claire and the hunters and everybody else having to leave to flee the fort. Um, and anyone who's read the books, I won't really spoil it, but um based on what comes next in the books and what's in the preview, I'm looking forward to the next episode. We're gonna get some interesting stuff. And we only have three more left of this half of the season. Wowza. Time flies. Um, but yeah, I am I think if you're able to adjust to there being more characters and just less, I don't, I honestly don't feel like Jamie and Claire have less of a presence in the show because everything sort of runs through like William is Jamie's son. And that's always a reminder. And when we go to Brie and Roger, she, Jamie and Claire are ever present. She brings them up a lot. She talks about them. She feels them. They're part of the story. Um, it's it's all this interwoven stuff. So it's still very much there, a part of the tapestry of the story and that everyone revolves around. But we're meeting these new characters. Um, uh, and they have some really, you know, good stories that are going to be coming. So um, if you can adjust to that, and I would suggest if you're having a hard time, really give it a try because it's not changing. Um, from book seven out, there's just, there are just more characters and they're just more perspectives and stories. Jamie and Claire will always be the core and the center, but um, there's more happening in this world now. Um, it was like that in the books and the show is being faithful to that. Um, but I am enjoying it. I'm definitely enjoying it. Um, so I'm I'm I truly am enjoying this season a lot. Um, and I have a feeling the last couple episodes are things are really gonna kick it up a notch oh my goodness um so yeah overall i'm quite happy what are your thoughts feel free to let me know send me a dm email whatever you like um you want to share about your thoughts of how season seven is going so far um okay and if so i'm gonna transition now and talk just a little bit about these strikes uh if this doesn't interest you this fine i'll see you next time um and again disclaimer i am i have no insider knowledge i am not an expert um if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time you just know that i'm a nerd i love film and television i watch documentaries and behind the scenes and all that kind of stuff um any sort of experience i had is in the theater world um amateur theater I did a little, I did a handful of student films in university too. Um, but, the, you know, aside from that, um, I just love film and television. I love uh, the awards, getting into the the race and predicting and, and understanding the dynamics of it. And I listen to a lot of entertainment podcasts and industry podcasts, and I read and watch a lot of stuff. So that's where this info is coming from. Um I'm not a compl- I'm not completely clear on a f- quite a few things. There's definitely some gray area around some things that are confusing. But basically, for anybody who doesn't really know what's going on, the Writers Guild of America, which is the American 
Writers Guild, uh, for writers, for screenwriters, for film and television. Um, you know, so all of these guilds, there's the DGA, which is the Directors Guild. There's the SAG, which is the Screen Actors Guild. There's the Writers Guild. Then there's all these, there's the IATSE, which is like the crews, all that kind of stuff. They all have contracts. Um, so the DGA, SAG, and WGA's contracts are renew on a, th- a three-year cycle. So all three of their contracts were up this year. The, the deed for negotiation, the DGA settled. The WGA, um, they were not able to make an agreement with what's called the AMPTP, which is the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. Um, so that's who they're negotiating with. That's who they make their contracts with. The AMPTP, it's basically... Yeah, it's all the big wigs. It's all the producers. So you have, you know, you have representatives or producers from things like NBC, Sony, um, like the 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 net, the old school, the old media networks that you would see on television. So yeah, like ABC, NBC, Fox, um, all of that kind of stuff. And then as well as the more newer age streamers. So you have Netflix in there, Apple for Apple TV Plus, Amazon Prime. HBO, um, you know, all of that's in there. So they're the ones that uh, the contracts are negotiated with. Um, and in the the industry has changed so much in the last 10 or so years um, with the advent of streaming. It's completely changed the business model. It's completely changed the game. Um, even 15 years ago, before that, you know, network television um, was the big thing. So you think all the TV shows that we usually watch were on network television. So whether you watch Grey's Anatomy every week or Law and Order Special Victims Unit or Modern Family even a few years ago, um, you would watch it on TV and it would air, you know, weekly. And then it would take the summer off and it would usually air from like October to May. And there would be maybe 22 episodes in a season. That tended to be the model. And that is how a lot of writers, you know, it would provide stable um, a stable income, a stable job. You'd have the writer's room and they would be writing 22 to 24 episode, uh, scripts per season. Um, and then with the stuff being syndicated on TV, they would get residual checks. Um, so, you know, the, someone who wrote an episode of Seinfeld, however many years ago is still getting residual checks, um, for, you know, every time that episode is aired, same with the actors. Um, you know, and that is a way that many actors would supplement their income in between jobs and same with writers. Um, so residuals are a big issue for both the actors union and uh, the writers guild, because that's not the case anymore in this new streaming model. So um, an episode of say Wednesday goes on Netflix. Um, it doesn't, it, it doesn't matter how many times that episode is viewed, how many people watch it, how long it's on the platform for it. There, there isn't a calculation for a residual model. So the writer of that episode is not seeing residuals or if they are, they're very, very little, um, not like they would if an episode of Will and Grace or whatever from however many years ago. Um, same with the writers or sorry, same with the actors. They're just not they're not getting paid for the success of that show. So it doesn't matter if it becomes the top smashing number one show on Netflix, they're not paid like it is. Um, 
And so that's becoming really challenging. So that's a sticking point for both um, the writers guilds. Um, there's lots of, uh, there's lots of YouTube videos. I might actually, I don't know. there's lots of YouTube videos and stuff that you can watch too, that it sort of explain the different sticking points for the writers guild. There, another thing was just the writer's room and basically with the writers they feel like it's trying to be turned into a gig economy so there's no longer stable employment there's no structure there it's we'll hire you for a few weeks to write a couple scripts and then goodbye there's no sort of structure there um and then another thing too is artificial intelligence the writers so we've has anyone heard of chat gbt this like artificial intelligence chat bot that you can talk to and it gives you answers and stuff. But with, I think it's like with generative artificial intelligence, it's the type of thing where you feed it information and it gets smarter, right? So in the world of script writing, you would, you know, it would be fed scripts and it incorporates that into sort of its memory and its model and it becomes smarter until it's able to generate a a script on whatever topic you tell it to writers have some concerns and issues on with that they want protections that ai isn't going to become isn't going to be used to write scripts for for projects and um replace writers um which i'm fully on board with there's a lot of advantages to artificial intelligence it it i don't see the need for it in the arts it does not need it, you do not need it in a creative art form it completely takes away the entire point and it makes it devoid of humanity and creativity and that human connection when you're just having a robot spit out a script in my opinion so that's one thing and the actors union is also concerned about ai about how scans of actors bodies are being taken without their express consent or permission or they're not being fairly compensated financially for it and that likeness is then owned and can be used by the studio for whatever they want. And they haven't really been super clear about it. Um, There's been proposals like, oh, they could scan their background actors, get paid them for one day of work and then use that scan and image for whatever they want indefinitely for the rest of time, which effectively is taking away jobs from actors. They're not, they're not happy about that. Um, and I know SAG was also fighting for to raise the minimum because what they set is the minimum. They don't touch, you know, if Meryl Streep goes and her agent negotiates that she gets 15 million for a production. That is really nothing to do with the actors union. That is an actress at the top of her game being able to demand that because she has the box office power and she's Meryl Streep and her agents negotiate that. That's not necessarily what they're talking about. They are talking about the minimum amounts that their members are can be paid um, based on the types of roles where it's sort of like a background role or a sort of guest actor role, guest star role, like the different levels of pay um, and depending on the number of days work and stuff that they're doing, because there's so many stories of actors coming out being like they did 10 episodes of a Netflix series and made like a thousand dollars and that's it. And then see no residuals, like things like that. And again, the actors, it's not just if this, they're not striking for the, the, the 2% of actors that are millionaires, the handful of actors that, you know, the names of SAG after has 160,000 members. 
the majority of those members are um are the jobbing actors that are just trying to make a living, pay rent, you know, be able to support their family and they go job to job and sometimes they do background work or a guest spot here or there. They might be those people that you're like, I've seen this person before and you've they've done like a little guest spot on like four different shows. They've been on like Law and Order and they've been on Grey's Anatomy and NCIS. And you're like, I've seen this person like, act, you know, actors like that, that you might not know their name. Um, they're not maybe the, they're not like the Tom Hanks's and the Jennifer Lawrence's of the, of the industry, but you know, they're act, you know, they're, they're actors and they, this is their livelihood and this is their living. Um, and so, yeah. So trying to raise the minimum amounts that they can be paid because they, um, they haven't really been able to do that in like 30 years to make it adjust for inflation. Like it's actors, actors should like, you know, you have to be able to support yourself, especially with how expensive the cities that they have to live in. You have to kind of live in New York or LA usually to be able to make it. And those are incredibly expensive cities to live in. So anyway, I digress. Those are like some of the issues. Um, Cause also there's a lot of actors that they have to make us, they have to make a minimum amount each year to qualify for their health coverage. Um, and it becomes increasingly hard to make that when, okay, go do you go do three episodes of this Netflix series and we'll pay you 500 bucks. That's not sustainable. Like, come on. So those are some of the sticking points they were not able to reach an agreement. And so for the first time since like 1980, I want to say the actors union has gone on strike. And now the first time since what the sixties, 1960, the writers guild and the actors guilds are on strike at the same time. So it's a pretty big deal. What does this mean? Some of you might know this and feel free to tune out for those of you that you don't know what this means. Um, so the WGA has been on strike uh, for two and a half months already. Um, so that means that they are not working. So any project that is uh, usually American produced or is under an, a WGA contract stops. Outlander is one of them. So Outlander shoots in the UK, but it's American produced, Ten mainly UK cast, but their writers are from the Writers Guild of America. So when the strike, and I mentioned this before, so when the strike happened in May, all writing, so we know season seven is filmed, it's it's in the can, it's in post-production. Um, season eight was definitely, they were still writing the scripts, um, and they're pretty important scripts to write. It's the final season, (laughs) um, script writing stopped and it will not continue until the writer's guild strike is over. So until they are able to reach a deal with the AMPTP, which from my understanding, there has been no, no negotiations at all between the writer's guild and AMPTP since the strike happened, it started at the beginning of May. So that's not great. Um, there's been some shady quotes that have come out recently from anonymous sources from the AMPTP about how long they're going to do. And they're going to basically going to try to starve out the writer's guild until they start losing their houses and, and apartments. And then they'll be willing to bend, which feels a little like someone was trying to be inflammatory and I don't know how true it is, but pretty gross that anybody thought of that. Um, so that's where season eight at, is at until this Writers Guild strike is over. There's no movement on season eight. Now this actors strike, what does this mean? Um, So basically anybody that is a member of of SAG-AFTRA, so is in the actors union, 
under this strike, um, they are not allowed to work on any AMPTP um, productions that are under a certain contract. So they have certain, it's a television theatrical contract. So there are certain things that are not impacted. So like variety shows, reality television, stuff like that. It's a different contract. That's not what's there. That's not what SAG is striking. Um, also daytime television, soap operas, um, different contract. That is not what SAG is, is striking. Um, they're particular specifically movies, t- um, television series that are on like network streamers, that sort of stuff. Um, so it means that production needs to halt on those, um, union members are not permitted to work and that, that they are not permitted to promote those projects. They cannot do red carpets. They cannot do interviews. They cannot even post on social media to, to promote these projects while the strike is happening. Um, They cannot do conventions, fan expos, comic cons that promote any current or past projects that were under an AMPTP contract. Um, They could do individual stuff if they wanted, but they cannot promote those projects. Where the gray area lies, where it gets kind of complicated is there. So say there's a product. So Outlander is not a SAG production. It is, it is union, but it is what's called the UK actors equity. Um, So that's the actors union in the UK. Um, And so Outlander is on an, so any actors working on Outlander are working under um, an equity contract. However, we know that there are um, members of the cast that are in SAG-AFTRA. We know for a fact Katrina is in SAG-AFTRA. She has shared that with us. Um, she's been nominated for Screen Actors Guild Award for Belfast. You need to be in the union to be able to get nominated. Um, and I am, I've never heard him explicitly say it, but I'm fairly confident that Sam is in sag um, I would be absolutely shocked if he's not. He's done a lot of work. He's done a lot of films that have been American produced, I want to say, too. So I'm fairly confident that Sam is in SAG as well. Um, but I could always be wrong. Um, you know, and so there's many of the other casts that I would imagine are probably not. I don't know for sure, but I would imagine like John Bell, Caitlin, you know, Caitlin, who plays Lizzie. Um probably Richard and Sophie. I would imagine they are not in SAG. So they don't really need to worry about this. But for any... Okay, so this is where it gets complicated. So SAG, the rules are pretty strict. If you are... So any member of SAG-AFTRA in general is not allowed to work on any production that is not unionized. Um, They can do other unions, but they can't do something that is non-unionized at all, Right. Um, and if they're doing something with another union, so for example, Outlander is another union. It is Actors' Equity. And in order for Sam and Katrina to be able to do Outlander, the production company behind Outlander would need to broker a deal with SAG-AFTRA. So SAG-AFTRA has a rule where it's called, their strongest rule is basically what's called um, Global Rule 1. Right. So basically what it states is that no member shall render any services or make an agreement to perform services for an employer who has not executed a basic minimum agreement with the union. Right. Um, 
this provision applies world, world worldwide. So simply put, a sag after member must always work under a contract around the globe, right? Um, so what this means um, is that... Um, Uh, so you should, you should assume that rule one applies. So SAG after, so they have to basically abide by global rule one. So in order to do that, um, Outlander, the production company behind Outlander would again, negotiate, would, would work with SAG into something called like a global rule one, like addendum which basically means that they've entered into a basic minimum agreement. There's like a signatory that's like assigned to it. Um, so, you know, it, it's able to happen. So that's something that Outlander does. Um, and he would have had to have done for the last, you know, seven seasons that have been filmed. Um, so for example, a show like the house of house of the dragon, it is currently in production in the UK. It is an HBO show, which is in the AMPTP. They're one of the big ones. They are not shutting down right now because uh, HBO has found a little loophole. Um, so basically, um, there are, this is, I'm going to try to simplify this. Like this hurts my brain, but the UK Actors' Equity are like their own union and there's a partnership there, right? Due to the labor laws, like the anti-strike, anti-union laws in the UK, it actually makes it illegal for actors' equity to issue a strike notice to their members in solidarity with another union. It's illegal. They can't do that. Um, And so any SAG member who is working under an equity contract is expected to go to work because the union cannot issue to like equity cannot say to them, you, you know, strike, don't go to work. They're not going to stop them. So like if an actor, so say someone on the house of the dragon set, who is a member of SAG, which there are definitely actors on that show that are in SAG say they decide, you know what? no, I'm going to stand in solidarity. I'm not coming to set. What this means, though, is that they they have no protections. If HBO wanted to sue them for breach of contract, there's they have no legal protection. Whereas a SAG after member working on a SAG contract is legally protected during a strike. Right. So that's sort of the difference. So, I mean, Actors' Equity, um, they've issued a statement saying that they stand in solidarity. They encourage their members to um, support, to donate, to go to rallies, all that kind of stuff. But they've said to them, if you are working, if you're a SAG member and you are working under an Equity UK contract, please go to work um, because, you know, SAG would like them to stop, but Equity is saying the information they've been told by their UK lawyers is that um, it's not lawful under United Kingdom UK law. So uh, according to their website, 
Consequently, a performer joining the strike or refusing to cross the picket line in the UK will have no protection against being dismissed or sued for breach of contract by the producer or engager. Likewise, if equity encourages anyone to join the strike or not cross a picket line, equity itself will be acting unlawfully and hence liable for damages or an injunction. Um, so what follows is based on that advice from SAG-ACTRA and our lawyers. So basically, if you are a member of SAG-ACTRA and then under an equity, it says you should continue to work and should not be prevented from doing from doing so by a SAG uh, picket line. Um, the strike has been authorized by the legislation of the United States, but is not lawful under UK legislation. You have no protection against being dismissed or sued for breach of contract by your producer if you just if you take strike action or refuse to cross a picket um so that is why house of the dragon is still able to film um because they, they're using that loophole in this this anti-union law in the uk it might be different in other places like Canada has an actors union called ACTRA. I don't know what the Canadian laws say. Every there's Europe, like there's unions everywhere. But basically, if a SAG actor is working on a non-SAG production, it has to be union and that union needs to have negotiated a minimum basic agreement with SAG. So we know Outlander would have done that. They're like registered as a signatory on the website. Either way, Outlander is not in. This would be more pertinent if outlander was currently filming and was in production right now but they're not so not a big deal no, not not that it's not a big deal but it's not really pertinent nothing's happening until the writer strike is over anyway what is interesting though is remember how i said actors are not allowed to promote even using social media i don't know i genuinely don't know if that applies if the work was for an equity contract so, like, I don't know if Sam and Katrina could post Outlander promo because it's an equity contract. I don't know if they're contractually obligated to do that or if they're following suit by the SAG guidelines and not posting because that's what they've been directed by their union. I truly don't know. Like, this is where the gray area comes into. I mean, I have a hard time imagining Sony and Stars is going to try to sue them for not making an Instagram post of the next episode's trailer. So I would imagine they will just not post uh, as a, as a, sh as a show of solidarity and support for their union, which is striking. Um, same with sort of promotion and engagement. So that gets really tricky. Like if an actor goes to a Comic-Con, they can do photo ops, they can do, you know, sign autographs, but they cannot talk about, past or current projects so that's where it gets really dicey um so that's where you'll see we we know um that katrina's film the the amateur has been halted um it's a sag production so i knew that was coming what i didn't know is the ninja was filming a movie for the past month called the cut with orlando bloom that they managed to get finished like two days before the strike happened so that's good, but we have no idea what's, you know, the amateur is on pause as, as our, as a, as is so many productions in Hollywood. Um, but yeah, so basically that's how it impacts Outlander. Um, it would be more like, again, they're not in production. So this whole equity thing, I don't think is as big of a deal. Um, it would be a bigger deal if they were actively filming and then those decisions would have to be made. Um, 
so I do feel for the actors and stuff on like House of the Dragon because they're in a crap position because if they decide they want to show solidarity with their union, those that are SAG members, um, they have no legal protection under UK laws. <clears throat> um, but I would I would not be surprised if we don't see people like Sam and Katrina posting on social media promoting Outlander or men and kilts or other things um because they are members of sag you might see people like john bell post i'm fairly certain john bell is not in sag um or sophie or richard or whatever they're not in sag it's fine um so that's sort of how that happens um and also you know if you're thinking oh well could sam and katrina go get a go shoot something else right now get a new project while we're waiting for Outlanders to start and everything's sort of shut down, if it's under an equity contract, I'm going to say probably no, because one, that would be a really bad look. <laughs> uh, um, and in terms of not supporting their union. And two, remember how I said that under global rule one, you know, any non, non-SAG production has to enter, a, has to get an addendum to the global rule one with SAG, the basic minimum agreement. Um, and SAG has said they will not be issuing any new global rule one addendums for the duration of the strike. So say there's a film coming up in the next month uh, and they want to cast and if they're, a, act, they're an equity UK or they're ACTRA, which is Canada, and they want to cast somebody that's SAG um, and they want to go for this global rule one addendum, um, SAG is going to say no. They've said that they will issue like sort of interim agreements with um, truly independent films that are not being produced, financed, distributed by any of the studios involved in the AMPTP, but they have to go through sort of an application and vetting process. Um, but yeah, other than that, they're not they're not issuing new global rule one sort of addendums until until this strike is over. And also SAG members are prohibited from auditioning while the strike is happening. They can't negotiate. Again, they can't do red carpets, interviews, film festivals. So film festivals are coming up. Venice Film Festival is coming up. Toronto International Film Festival is coming up in September. If SAG is still on strike, actors cannot walk those red carpets for AMPTP um you know for films done, done under the that amptp contract which is like the majority of films um so it's interesting there's a lot of gray area i'm still trying to figure things out every day but that's what i can share um so if you see a lot of your fave actors go quiet and they're not promoting it's because they can't they can't promote on so they can they can post about anything else but their projects right so even sam he could promote his books he could promote mpc he can promote sassanac spirits um i don't know if maybe he can promote outlander because it's under an equity contract but i also feel like eh, it's a gray area and maybe he just won't <laughs> and maybe, maybe he shouldn't um because if he's in sag not supposed to self-promote uh, and again, I have a really hard time imagining like Sony and stars is going to like sue their actors for not posting on Instagram when their union is on strike. Like really? Uh, it's kind of a different scenario than like the cast of house of the dragon is in currently. 
where they have to show up on set and film. Um, so that's what I can share for now. Sorry if that bored you, bored you. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's a historic moment. Like it's been the last time both of these unions were on strike at the same time was like 1960. So, and I'm pretty sure Ronald Reagan was the SAG after president at that time. So anywho, hopefully that gives you a little bit of clarity. We'll sort of see what happens. Um, I feel like this was kind of inevitable. This was brewing. Um, the The model of streaming and, te- and film and television has changed so much in the last few years. Um, and the contracts have not caught up to it and it needs to happen because there are a lot of working class laborers that can't make ends meet writers actors again this strike is not about the two percent of actors and even writers whose names you know that are celebs and making millions it's it isn't about them it's about the hundred and sixty thousand other members that go from job to job and just try to make a living. Um, so yeah, I would always encourage you to just take a look online. There's lots of great, um, just lots of great interviews, stuff going on. Um, and yeah, so I will speak on behalf of myself. I definitely support fully support and stand in solidarity with the writers guild of America. Um, and SAG-AFTRA, and I hope both unions are able to get back to the negotiating the, the negotiating table with the AMPTP soon and negotiate a deal that they feel is fair for them. Because uh, this strike is going to hurt hard. <laughs> Not only are our favorite for shows going to get delayed, but there's a lot of people that are out of work right now. So it's rough, especially coming out of COVID. Um, but hey, AMPTP. Play ball, will ya? You're rich enough. Spread the wealth. Maybe your CEOs don't need to be, you know, making $50 million a year. That's just me. Anyway, uh, this is really long. I'm going to let it go. If you listen to this, bless you. Um, Stay safe, everyone. Enjoy your summer. I might pop back in towards the end of season seven and just check in and share my thoughts. And then Britt and I, towards the end of the summer, we'll probably start to get into season um, six. Um, so as always, please feel free to reach out, email, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at She's an Outlander. No dots, um, except for in the Gmail. And uh, see you on the next one, everyone. Stay safe. Bye. Bye.